Do you remember wine making a frequent appearance at your family gatherings? The history of wine is almost as long as the history of humanity. We use it to celebrate, to grieve, to eat, and to cook. In most of the world, wine is a part of everyday life, like a cup of hot tea or a glass of cool water. Why does it seem to be missing from the African-American table? Welcome to another episode of the Afros and Knives podcast. I am your host, host Chef Tiffany. Today's show features a conversation with millennial wine pro, Desiree Brown. We talk to her about getting out of the traditional corporate world and her foray into the world of wine. We also look at the reasons why wine doesn't have a larger presence in the African-American household and get her tips and wine wisdom so we can start to participate in this deeply rooted global conversation that is wine. Hi, everyone. My name is Desiree, and I created my brand, Wine on Noir, as a way to chronicle my experience in the wine industry, but also to share no-nonsense tips to help other people enjoy wine. When I was first introduced into the wine industry, uh, it was kind of by accident. I was doing some wine tastings just as a way to make some money as a broke recent graduate. Um, and it turned out to be a really great learning experience for me. I was using resources online to learn more about wine and to help me sell more wine. And then I realized that there was a whole world of wine education. And I wanted to share that with my friends and family. And then I got the bright idea to branch out and start my blog and my Instagram platform. And it kind of just really took off. And I noticed there wasn't a lot of people of color uh, using Instagram and having blogs with the same niche. And when I did see them, they had small platforms. So I thought it was a great way just to connect with them and to really bring some diversity to the space. And it's been a great experience so far. Well, I thank you so much for your your work and for your what's the I guess confidence is not the word courage is the word Um, for your courage to kind of just step out into something that was essentially unfamiliar to you and just go with it. I think um, we had uh, you know, full disclosure, ladies and gentlemen, this is our second time around doing this conversation. (laughs) But the first time around, you had made such a great point about, um, you know, uh, doing something, following your gut and following your heart and doing something that's kind of non-traditional and really contending not so much with even the industry at first, but contending with the people who know you best, like your friends and family. And those are always kind of the, it's always that first line of people to get past. And while they love you dearly, you just, you know, it's so far outside of the the cultural box for them that they're like, how in the world are you going to make money? How are you going to, like, how does this make any sense? How does this fit what, who we are and what we are as a culture and as a community? And so I just commend you for like a lot of people, that's what stops them. They kind of get to that point and they go, you know what? Y'all are right. Is you, yeah, yeah, you're right. You have a point. We don't have any, we have no, we have no business being in those spaces because we don't see ourselves yet. And so, you know, you always, there's always got to be the first one though. <laughs> like that's always been my thing. There always got to be the first few <laughs> before we start to see ourselves in those spaces. So I just want to applaud you for really just kind of getting outside of your own comfort zone and outside of a, a few 
few other people's comfort zones and just following your yeah. heart and doing it. Thank I know you. how hard that is. I'm like, I really do. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say thank you. And I mean, it definitely was not an easy experience. Um, I came from a more traditional background and I grew up thinking, oh, I'm going to go to college. And when I get out of college, I'm going to get a good job, whatever that meant to me that meant get a good corporate job. Um, but I was just really unhappy. And I really just took a leap of faith and went full time in the wine industry. And like you said, it's it, 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 even now I still struggle sometimes telling people what I do because they don't understand what it means to work in the wine industry and to do wine sales. But as I'm doing it, I get more comfortable and I've definitely gained a lot more confidence and that has made it easier to just talk about it and not really care about the response that I get. This is true. This is true. I remember (laughs) when I first made the announcement, I was going to get into cooking and it was just kind of like, it was a very uh, lukewarm reception with that announcement. And I was just like, okay. And again, I'm like, I understood the the response because it's not like it was, you know, in 2006, it wasn't something you saw, not just with women and black women, but just, you know, like, cooking and food was that was not a thing you did that got you anywhere it was just it was a job and you did that job until you you know finished college or something like that it was something to help you have a paycheck or put gas in your car but it wasn't a a career choice and you know a career choice that could you know have an impact on the world or on your life so it was always like uh, and yeah and it took me it probably took me five years to call myself a chef like when people would ask me what I did (laughs) it just was like "Uh, well and so I had all these (laughs) really creative answers and finally after working in a restaurant with, with another chef he was like why don't you just say you're a chef and I was like well it just it didn't quite feel comfortable it was like I was wearing someone's clothes and they were too big and I was just like uh it fits but it doesn't feel like it fits me yet and I think half of it was because I again hadn't seen anybody else that looked like me in this space but also because I didn't know what type of chef I wanted to be I didn't know what kind of point of view I wanted to have as a cook. And then, and so that just, as I developed that, I felt more and more comfortable, like putting, adding that title to my name. So with that, like when you, like with your work at this point, do you, know, do you feel like you have a point of view, especially because you have the, a social media platform, you have a blog, you know, do you write and do you like approach the subject from a specific point of view where you can help people, help the reader or help your audience have a specific lens they need to look through in order to kind of understand wine from your perspective? I think that's a great question. And I think uh, I started my brain about a year ago, a little over a year. So I definitely think about that question a lot. And I always come back to wanting to be relatable and knowing from my experience I felt intimidated learning about wine uh, because I felt like people knew more than me or um, just a really big intimidation factor there. So my approach is to uh, be relatable. And even though I have certifications and I'm studying for certifications now, I don't yet consider myself an expert. I don't know if I ever will, but I try to say I, you know, I have a lot of knowledge, but it's not coming from like this expert point of view. Um, I learn and you can learn too. Mm. And here are tips to help you learn. So coming from, from a place of showing my journey, I didn't just wake up and have more wine knowledge than the average person. It definitely has been a journey of learning and tasting, but enjoying it along the way. 
What was it that surprised you the most? Like after you made the transition, you made your decision and you started to really deep dive into the material and into the information and you started to kind of formulate your own voice and the position you wanted to, to take. Um, what was the biggest thing that, what was the biggest thing that surprised you kind of getting into the space a bit more aggressively and a bit deeper? Uh, I would say two things really surprised me. The first thing is that the people who are very well seasoned in the industry are really not as intimidating as I thought they were. From the outside looking in, I felt like I couldn't ask questions because I was afraid to look stupid Mm. or I felt less than because I didn't have as much knowledge. But I've learned that most people who know a lot about wine, they love talking about it. I'm the same way. I love to talk about it. I love to learn. And they're open to answer any questions. I rarely come in contact with like a true wine snob who, you know, doesn't want to deal anything with, you know, a newbie. I I rarely have that experience. Um, And that was really shocking. And it helped me realize that some of my intimidation came from just my own insecurity of not, you know, having a lot of knowledge. Right, right. Um, And then the second thing, (laughs) this is funny, but wine is hard. It's a (laughs) lot of information. (laughs) When I, I mean, I first started drinking wine, probably (laughs) before I was allowed to but (laughs) you know it was just it was just a beverage that you know tastes good and could get you drunk and that was you know that was the extent of my knowledge but Mm -hmm. diving deep into it I mean there is so much to learn there you will never be know everything about wine and that kind of surprised me um just the sheer detail and the nuance of it. And it's, you know, what's funny when you mentioned like you started drinking wine before you like technically legally here that you should, you could have started before you should have been drinking it legally. Right. In other (laughs) cultures, you know, people, young people, kids drink wine early on. Like they start to acquire a taste for um, those tannins and those flavors really early on in life. A lot of kids, you know, they drink wines for their, um, their confirmations for like for Catholic churches and they drink them for um, communions and they drink them for weddings. And so, you you know, kids are kind of turned on to well specific, more specifically wine and not necessarily like whiskeys and things, but wine more specifically in a lot of other cultures and countries a bit early on. And I know, you know, as a, a, a kid growing up in an African-American household and a, mm-hmm. a, a more religious one than that, you alcohol was not an option. You know, it was, I don't care what kind of alcohol you were talking about, whether it was for communion at church or not, right. it was not a thing we did. And, you know, going into the, the homes of my uncles and aunts and grandparents and the, my, my friends' um, homes and things like that. And I noticed it was just, there's an absence of wine culture within the African-American community, even though there's not an absence of wine being produced in Africa. Like, you know, there, it does, it does grow. People do cultivate wine there. And so what was, what's your understanding of why African-Americans just don't embrace wine culture more heartily? Like, is it, you know, because we don't have a a long history with it, is it something that we just, you know, it's a bit stigmatized because it kind of just falls into the alcohol category with everything else. But um, we just don't seem to embrace it the way most other cultures do and encourage their own young people to, you know, participate in the production of it. 
Yeah, I, I would say that just in in the United States, the culture around wine is a lot different. When you think about European culture, they're drinking wine way younger, and it's very it's way more casual mm. for younger people to be drinking wine. Um, and it's definitely not like that here in the states, and especially not in the African American community. And I think a lot of it comes from. Um, there not being as many black winemakers mm. and not it, it's just wine is viewed as this thing of um it's put up on a pedestal oh, and oh yeah that's good that's good yeah i i think it's put up on a pedestal where it, it's almost like if i'm not it's like a status thing almost mm. and a lot of people the wine is can be very expensive when you think about champagne and things like that. So it's not something that is thought of as like an everyday kind of thing when really it's just a beverage that goes excellent with food. So I think it's, there are a lot of things, but because there aren't a lot of black songs, a lot of black winemakers or just people in the industry in general, people of color, um, it's hard to figure out how it fits into our culture. Mm, that's a really interesting point that it's hard to see how it fits into mm-hmm. our culture considering so much of what we do culturally is this food is kind of the central component and you know it's the it's the central moment and, and space that we share so I've rarely gone to a gathering family or otherwise where food was not kind of like the main event and it's the thing that kind of binds us together it's the thing that we that connects us all so if you you know if you've been to um there was a there was a t- there was a time and we're still kind of talking about it about shooting our first like docuseries and it's surrounding the idea the culture um of of the cookout and how the cookout is not a barbecue and how the cookout is not a regular event. Like a cookout for African-Americans is a, is a thing. It's, it's, if you've been to one, you understand exactly what, um, why it has its own name, uh, why it's used as slang, why it's used as, like it, it, it has a life of its own. And I've always been interested in, you know, why we created that particular event to centralize our like social interactions. But it's again, like when you go to a cookout, the one thing that you rarely see showing up to the party is wine. Like you see your, your uncles will bring some like malt liquor and then somebody else will bring some like some Hennessy or some cognac. Like we, right. you know, we kind of lean into the liquors and the whiskeys and things. And it, you know, like to your point, it might be because it's just, it seems more cost effective. The price point isn't mm-hmm. as high for some of these um, particular items, but there's some really great wine out there that is not going to break the bank. That will cost you as much as a yeah. bottle of like Cavassier. So I just don't understand like what, is, who, but, what will it take to get people to kind of go, maybe I should hit up the wine aisle before I head to this, this cookout. I think a lot of it also has to do with marketing. You mentioned Cavassier, but that Busta Rhymes song. Um, <laughs> yes, with Mr. T in the video. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it shows up the, and that's only one example, but marketers put intentionally are marketing to African-American communities when it comes Mm. to liquor and things like that. But the marketing for wine is much different. Um, I've more recently seen some ads on TV. I think there was like uh, a black lady with natural hair and a Kim Crawford Sauvignon Blanc commercial, but I noticed it. It Mm. it. It wasn't 
something that I was used to seeing. So I think marketing dollars need to be focused more on advertising quality wines to African-Americans, not just the sweet and cheap wines that they think black people like, yes, but all yeah. types of styles. I was just, um, I was just thinking that. I was like, it's so funny because when you do talk, when you do think about how wine has made it into the culture, like in song lyrics and stuff you talk about, they talk about um, the, yeah, the sweeter and the more like economically priced wines like Boone's Farm and, and um, mm-hmm. Alizé and <laughs> And all of those right, tend to exactly. stereotypically be like almost, almost mostly like fruit juice or some weird commercial juice <laughs> with a little bit of alcohol in it, which it tends to taste like that. Like usually if I have, if someone has some and they are, I remember when Hypnotic came out and I didn't know what to make of it. I was just like, what is this? And why is it glow in the dark blue? And you can see this bottle from oh space. And it tasted <laughs> terrible. And they were like, and it was funny because I was with a group of friends. They brought the bottle out and they thought I was going to get so hype about it. And when I was just like, what is this? They were like, you've never heard of this? Oh my God, you're black. I was like, wow, okay. Um, no, if you have a good Pinot back there, we can talk. But what is this? <laughs> just like, they just, the the because you said the marketing is not necessarily geared towards us. They, for, I think marketers forget that other people are watching their marketing as well. And the absence exactly. of black people in your marketing campaigns and in your, your public relations efforts doesn't just tell us something. It also tells the other audience, the other audience members something as well. Like, oh, this is not a beverage that African-Americans typically drink. This is not something they exactly. will engage in. So there's no need for you to make an effort to include them if that is the case. And it's just, I, you know, of course, that is in all types of industries and marketing, but really kind of specifically to these, what people would consider luxury items. And, you yep. know, you know, considering how wine is taxed and, you know, and even entry into being a producer, there's a handful of really beautiful wine producers that are, are black. And it's just like when I enter, when I talk about them to other people, they're like, there are black people make wine. Oh my God, really? Oh, okay. And then it kind of, yeah. you can see the questions going off in their brains, but they don't even really know what to ask. So, you know, for me, I'm just like, how can we, what do we do as a culture to kind of push these brands to market to everyone to make wine more inclusive? What is it that we can say or do? Where do we put our dollars in order to to create that level of impact? Yeah, that's a a great question too. I mean, I think that it's slowly happening, but more people, more people of color are just working in the industry and that's mm-hmm. going to help, um, just have us help us have a seat at the table and to be there and to, you know, stress the importance. But, um, I saw recently a tactic where, um, a lady refused to attend an event because the panel wasn't as diverse, but mm-hmm. I think that's a good strategy for, I mean, even myself thinking about it now, but when I go to these events where they're showcasing wine from maybe Spain or South Africa or, you know, anywhere, but really asking the question saying, Hey, you know, why aren't there people of color on this panel or why aren't you featuring any black winemakers? Maybe they haven't thought of it, which is a problem in itself, but maybe I can suggest one that I've heard of or that I know or, you know, right. Asking the question, pulling them up on it. So I think we, we have to hold people accountable with the marketers, the event 
planners and mm. things like that. And then also, you know, creating a lane of our own. Oh, yes. All, always about that. I love um, most recently seeing... Um, uh, beauty influencer uh, Jackie Ina on uh, in Essence and girl she look she can she's gonna come to any party anytime um but the, but I love her persistence like there was at no point was it an option for makeup brands to kick back and go well we're not going to do this we're not going to make our shade ranges inclusive we're not going to like there was there that was not even up for discussion her question was always how are you going to do it not are you going to do it? And, right. you know, I love that energy about that. And, you know, I, I would absolutely love to see someone, you know, do take on the, you, you know, YouTube the way she has and talk about wine and talk about food. And, you know, like the, one of the, the, the digital platform I've been working on really leans into developing that type of content where, you know, like I could put someone like yourself front and center and we can, you know, shoot episodes that really have the same kind of energy as like the Jackie Ina video, but we are talking about wine and how to get entry into the conversation and, you know, visiting different vineyards that are run by black families and and doing some tastings live on camera and stuff like that and walking people through the process of tasting where, like you said, it's accessible and intelligent. And it doesn't talk down to anybody. Um, I find like a lot of uh, resources for people getting into wine and like wanting to learn more about it. it I can see how you can walk up to the door and feel intimidated because it, it kind of has a, there's a condescension in how people speak to you about it. And um, mm-hmm. to be able to talk to someone like this is not, you know, a lot of people don't know a lot of things about wine, not just African-Americans. It's not, a, you know, a, a topic of conversation on average for a lot of people. So it's not that your color dictates your intelligence in this in this space it's that you don't have access to the information the way somebody else would you know a kid who grew up in a house with wine while they might not want to talk about it and they might not have a ton of information about it they have been exposed to it so they're not right they feel comfortable being more curious about it yes and then like you said asking questions you know you you struggle with like okay I was I I needed to ask questions and I felt like it's almost like when you're in school and you you run across a kid who thinks they should already know the answer and you're like but that's why you have school because you don't know the answer and this is a safe space to ask the question and so to build spaces where people are able to just go okay I don't know this. I didn't grow up with it. What do I need to know? I, you know, I want to be proficient at it or at least want to be able to sit down and enjoy a bottle of wine with a group of friends and not feel intimidated by the, the, the whole action and, you know, the whole transaction and to call somebody over in a restaurant and ask questions about the wine list or look at a wine list that's like five pages long and really like dial in on a couple that you're, that are your favorite. So you can feel confident when you're at dinner or you're out with friends going, yep, I want this, this, and this. And people are like, whoa, okay. So when did that happen? And how can I find out all the stuff you know now and just feel comfortable yeah. around that. <laughs> Girl. So like, and I mean, just to, if you could build your ideal, you know, platform, what would you do with that? Like what would, you know, if someone was to come to you and go, Hey, you know what? You have a fantastic voice and point of view and we want to, you know, help other millennials of color, you know, really dial into wine. So, so we can affect marketing and, and uh, marketing campaigns and PR and how things are, are packaged and sold to um, young people and uh, young adults of color, like what would you do with that platform? How would you want to see that develop? 
I would definitely want to start with the education piece and have events that focus on education of, in wine, but in a space where people can be com- be comfortable. So whether that means having music that, you know, young millennials are listening to and not, you know, other types of music. Um, allowing them to be in comfortable clothes and wearing things that they would drink a beer in. But instead be be learning about wine. Um, I think creating a space again where people can feel comfortable being curious. So having um, Black Psalms teaching or featuring wines that are made by people of color and maybe having people, um, Black winemakers speaking at these types of events so that people can see themselves reflected in the drink that they're learning about. Mm. Um, That would be, I definitely want to start with the education piece. And once you have the basic knowledge of wine, you're able to build more easily on that knowledge on your own time. So when you're out tasting, if you have the basic information about, you know, sweet and dry, red and rosé and, different flavor profiles, you can start to explore more. So having that education piece is, is the most important. All right. Well, follow up question on rosé, uh, <laughs> because I've noticed that is the summer drink or the summer wine selection. Um, is there you know, what, like talk to me about rosé? What do we need to look for? What brands we need to like really get our hands on? How should we be drinking it? What kind of food should we pair with it? Like, I'd like give me some tea about the rosé trend. So rosé is so on trend right now. Um, I mean, it's a pink drink. Who doesn't love it? <laughs> but I love rosé just because it's such a food friendly um, wine. A lot of people just drink it in the summertime because it's fun, it's light and refreshing. But it really is a great wine to drink all year round because of the high acidity. It's going to go with all types of cuisines. Um, there's so many on the market now. I always suggest just trying to stray away from the bigger name brands mm. because they're usually not made with as much care and attention. Um, Provence in France is always, that's a classic region for rosé. So if you want um, to explore, that's a great place to start. But um, just think about the styles of wine that you like. So if you prefer a lighter style red wine, say Pinot Noir, then look for a rosé of Pinot Noir because it's going to have similar flavor profiles. If you prefer a bigger, bolder Syrah, then look for a rosé of Syrah. That's just a quick little trick to help pickle a wine in the sea of pink when you go into the... <laughs> When you're going down the wine aisle, because it can be hard and intimidating, but those are just a few little tricks to to kind of help you find something that you would okay. enjoy. Well, and I mean, go ahead. I was like, no, I'm I'm, I'm taking notes. You good? Um, <laughs> no. Um, and then also just checking the sugar content. If it has a lower alcohol, it's probably going to be sweeter. If it has higher, it's probably going to be drier. Um, so that's another just trick. Not even just for rosé, but um, wine in general. But it can be, I mean, it can be so hard. I always say just buy it. It's like 10 or 11 bucks <laughs> for a decent 
wine. I mean, it's a small risk to take. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Um, so for, I mean, because it's summertime and people are, are you know, I, I feel people take greater risks in the summer with alcohol. Like in the wintertime, you're looking for comfort. So you kind of stick with your favorite. So if I am, if it's my first time going into um, a big wine store, like one of the big box stores, or even going into like the little uh, liquor department at the local Walgreens or something like that, like what's on your on the price spectrum, what can I, what do I need to look for? Cause I, you know, listening to you explain how to pick a rosé, people definitely need to start looking at the label and reading the origin and looking at the type of grape or the type of wine that that rosé came from. So if I'm going in and I've never purchased a bottle of wine for myself and I'm buying it either for myself or as a gift, what are the kind of the things I can, because I, I can't say anyone's ever going to pick a perfect bottle of wine for another person especially if they don't know what type that person drinks, but what can I, what can I do? Like, how can I arm myself before I walk into an aisle or into a store? And like, what, what points should I look for that will help me get as close as possible to like getting something that's drinkable and accessible and not absolutely crazy. And um, cause you know, people will go into these wine places and their eyes will be screaming and they'll be looking at stuff and they're like, I don't, I don't know what this means. What's a Tempranillo grape? Where is that from? What part of Spain is this from? So they're looking at maps and stuff on labels and names and so like what do you know to ignore all of that other information on the label what do I need to look for specifically to help me kind of narrow down a couple of things that you know can make me feel a bit more confident in a wine store so this is gonna sound like a super basic response (laughs) but really just ask someone okay ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen do you hear her she said ask Go ahead. Just ask. I recommend going to um, maybe your local wine shop, not your corner store, beer, wine, liquor store. Go to a fairly decent wine shop that you think they're going to have knowledgeable staff. Everywhere, every place in the world is going to have a store like this. And ask the, the person working there. Most people that work in these wine shops that have a pretty large selection of wines are going to be pretty familiar with the wines that they carry. Mm. Even if they've tasted them all or they at least know what to expect from certain regions. So I always suggest thinking about what flavor profile you want to go for. So using descriptor words like tart and sweet or specific fruits like strawberry or cherry and using those words to ask questions and asking for a recommendation. Um, You have to help the person help you. You can't just Mm. say, I'm looking for a rosé that's good. (laughs) That's not going to get you anywhere. No. And no one is going to be able to help you. So just try to be as descriptive as possible when you're looking for a wine, Um, whether it's using the, the flavors or think about what is being served for dinner. So if you're looking for wine for dinner, what are you eating? Then they can help steer you in the right direction. Um, also, Google. <laughs> Google <laughs> <That's it. laughs> These seem like really basic tips, but I've been there going into a wine shop and just picking something random because I didn't even know where to start. Ooh, so okay. use your Googles. Um, ask the the person. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't think you're going to look silly. Most of the time, 
there just sitting at the front, you know, yeah. waiting for somebody to ask, them, to a ask them a question. It's true. Um, yeah. And it's so okay. They work for their money. You know what? <laughs> I mean, it's okay if you don't see a black person in the store working. A white person will answer your question perfectly fine. Don't be worried about exactly. that either. It's a great way to build race relations. Um, <laughs> it is. And if you have a local shop, the best thing to do is to talk to them and kind of make friends with them because if they get a new, new wine, they'll remember which, which wine they recommended and then they'll say, hey, we just got this new wine in. I think you'll like this one. So then you'll start to build a rapport. They'll start to kind of know what flavors you like and be able to make different suggestions. If they recommend something and you don't like it, they can steer you in a different way. Mm. Um, yeah, I so see. It sounds like you maybe might want to keep a little notebook of like when you try a wine, you can actually take a couple of notes and go, I like this about it. I didn't like that about it. So the next time you go back into the store, you can kind of narrow down a couple of things and you have better questions every time you go back in. Yeah. So actually on my blog, I have a um, tasting sheet where it walks you through all the steps of tasting a wine and then there's also a sheet where you can mark off different aspects of the wine so the sugar the acidity the tannin and the guide also explains what all those terms mean if you're not as familiar so this is a good way just to start tracking you know the different aspects of wine and also figuring out what you like the only way to figure out what you like is to taste and kind of um be able to remember the different aspects that you do and you don't like so um, if you check it out on my blog, it's mineonnoir.com slash free tasting guide. Um, and it's just a quick download. It's free. Um, it's a great resource. I fully expect people to go in and download this. Um, so <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, don't disappoint me and embarrass me, please. Get on the website and download that. And then, you know, have a party. Get you some hors d'oeuvres and go buy you a couple bottles of wine with some friends and you all taste together. You know, let's all come up together. This is all I'm saying. I mean, you know, we can all be like Drake and, and his it's crew. So fun. <laughs> we can start from the bottom and be here. At some point, we have to do it. So yes, that exactly. actually sounds like a great way to spend a summer weekend is to just do a wine tasting and that way you know that it's going to be kind of a casual affair where it's just you guys and it's people you know and can trust and you won't have to feel you know intimidated by any of it because it's just people that you love and love to spend time with and you guys are all kind of engaged in the same activity is finding out you know figuring out what kind of wines you like to drink and learning a bit more about what you're drinking so yes I'm, uh, yeah, it's I'm so a fan fun oh. to do with other people and if you have everybody bring even if it's their favorite bottle and they want to bring it and maybe you haven't tried it it's a great way just to taste with your friends and have fun and then once you're done taking your notes you just drink the bottles and have a good night you know, <laughs> i mean let's do this people and i would you know what and i fully expect to see some comments and feedback about after you've done this how much you enjoyed yourself and then we can all give credit to desiree for her suggestion so i mean <laughs> i'm expecting people to do some homework here Afros and Knives is the first original series released by Set the Table Media, a digital media company created for the African-American tastemaker to share authentic culinary travel and lifestyle content. They will become the global leader in African-American digital media, serving passionate subscribers around the world with content that inspires, informs, and entertains. They want to raise the visibility of African-American storytellers and produce food, travel, and lifestyle narratives from innovative, unique, and diverse voices, and then deliver that original programming across multiple platforms.
to learn more about Set the Table Media, you may visit the website at setthetablemedia.com or follow them on Instagram. You can become a Set the Table Media insider and keep up with their progress and watch the story of this idea unfold. Get on the wait list and receive an early subscriber discount when you purchase the mobile and television apps. You can also think about becoming a patron and supporting this work with your dollars. You can go to patreon.com backslash set the table media and consider becoming a monthly patron so that as these ideas like Afros and Knives podcast start to unfold, you have a direct influence on the conversations we have and the content we produce. And now back to the rest of the show. Now, I had a a personal wine question that I've been kind of following the natural wine trend for a little while. Mm -hmm. I I still cook privately in Phoenix for like clients for like small events, things like bachelorette parties and stuff like that. And so with smaller groups, I tend, I can really take a lot of control over my, um, how I source my ingredients. So I do use a lot of like local and seasonally sourced ingredients, things that are organically grown or that I grow myself. Um, And so when we, when I start talking about adding wine to food or cooking with wine, I started to kind of lean into some of the more natural organic brands. And I just, Mm -hmm. I'm still curious as to like what that trend is doing. It's really quiet. You don't hear a lot of conversation about it just yet. Cause you know, like the organic argument when it comes to food is still very present. And people are like, well, how do you know it's organic and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, I understand your point. But there comes a point where, you know, adding, artificial defenses into the soil and onto a plant to help it defend itself against a natural predator, you know, kind of pulls it away from its, you know, own natural state. And so there is something to organic farming and there is a difference in taste and texture and how it holds up. So do do you find, have you tasted any natural wines or organic wines? Do you have any that you have enjoyed yet? Or is the jury still out for you on those wines? Have you not gotten to that point yet? So, um, so I'm just curious as to like where you stand with those. Yeah, there's actually a really cool wine bar in D.C. called Dio Wine Bar. Um, it's owned by a woman. There are a lot of women working there, and I think they also feature a lot of women wine, natural winemakers. Okay. So I think that was the first place that I tasted natural wine. And you can definitely tell the difference between natural wine and then drinking maybe your big box wine from the grocery store. Not in a bad way. You could just tell it. It tastes more natural, has a different texture and mouthfeel. I don't solely drink natural wine. I'm not necessarily seeking out natural wine, but I think it's really in, it's a really important movement because wine is one of maybe a, a few products that you can make bottle package and sell without telling all the ingredients that are in it. And yeah, that's a good point. It's becoming more and more common for people just to care more about what they're putting into their bodies. Um, And a lot of times with wine, you don't really know what they're doing in the cellar, especially if you don't have that much knowledge on wine, you're really just drinking it. So um, I think it's a really great movement. Um, I'm excited to see more and more natural wine popping up on the market and just trying a new style of wine. It's, it's really a cool movement. And I think it's important to hold winemakers accountable for what they're doing. Um, 
asking more questions about what they're adding, what pesticides they're using in the fields for the grapes. So just holding them accountable and making sure they're not doing anything crazy that, and, and no one's going to even, you know, blink right. an eye about it. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, well it's wine. I trust it. And no matter what I'm, you know, I'm going to drink it. And to, and to like, to our point about marketing and putting marketing dollars, wherever people spend money is where marketers go. And so to push producers to be a bit more transparent about what happens, um, you know, when they're producing a, a bottle is, is always, I think it's always a great way to create a relationship with a consumer is to be more open about this is the process it goes through. This is where these grapes come from. And I think it can only help, um, you know, especially if you, as we have more wine producers, thankfully, in the, especially of the African-American, with African-American background, those wine producers can get out in front of, of this particular type of movement where if it, if you're not producing natural wines, then at the very least, you're really kind of transparent about what's happening in the process. So that as you know, exactly. start to connect and start to drink a bit more, they're like, oh, okay. So yeah, I know exactly how this was produced. I know where it's from. I know what they did to it. I know the, you know what I mean? I know the process. And so you can build some trust um, with new consumers because we can definitely start, but you know, people will put their dollars in that direction. So, um, so yeah. yeah, I was just like, oh, can I cook with this? Will it change things? And so, because the accessibility to it is really different too, because the percentage of natural wines that are being sold are just not, it's not very high yet. So I just haven't had a chance to experiment with it specifically in cooking. I've had, I've been able to taste quite a few of them and most of them are really great. Um, and they definitely are different than, you know, your traditional uh, mm-hmm. commercial wines, but, you know, I just haven't tried uh, cooking with them just yet. Like, you know, doing a coco vin with uh, a natural red to see how that plays. And um, so I'm like, I definitely. Yeah, that would be an interesting experience. Experiment. I was like, I'm going to be curious to see how it goes. <laughs> I'm like, so is there, um, you said because you're in, you are in Maryland at this, at this mm-hmm. point. So what can, for the, for my friends and our listeners who are living in that area, that Southeastern area, are there a few wine bars you can recommend to them? Um, any type of class that you would recommend they take that they can sign up for that's local to them? Cause then I will definitely, um, in our, the episode description, drop a couple of, uh, of links and things like that. So people can like get signed up or head over and, um, and, and, you know, maybe do some name dropping. Like, you know what? I was listening to this podcast and this girl named Desiree said to come in here and get me something to drink. And so, um, <laughs> so where should people be going at least in Maryland or in DC? So like you said, I'm in Basin, Maryland. I'm just out of DC. So I do spend a lot of time there. Um, I mentioned Dio Wine Bar. I love that bar. It has a great, you know, has all the vibes and great natural wine. They also have events there here and there. Um, Grand Cotta is a wine shop in DC near um, in the Shaw Howard neighborhood. And I love that place because they feature a lot of wines from uh, South America and you get a lot of value from those regions. So it's always fun to just go in and try something new. Um, And they have really knowledgeable staff there who are more than happy to talk to you about wine and answer your questions and help you find a, a wine that you might like. Um, if you are in Maryland, I live in Rockville, so the bottle shop is one of my go-to wine shops. They have tastings every Friday, I believe, and it's so much fun to just go and taste. That's really how I, you know, taste a bunch of wine without spending a lot of money um, and just buying what I like and not what I don't like. Mm. So 
the bottle shop is a great spot. Um, Maxwell DC is another bar in DC that I haven't been to, but they were just rated like best wine bar maybe in America. I could be exaggerating, but they just got a really high rating. So that's definitely on my to-go list. Okay. Okay. Now, do you sell for, are you selling in a specific store? Are you selling for a specific brand? So I work for a distributor based in Frederick, Maryland. So we have a bunch of different um, brands under our distributorship and we have suppliers from all over the world, really. A lot of Spain and Portuguese wine. I do love a Portuguese. I love a Spanish wine and a Portuguese wine. I'm a huge fan of the Tempranillo grape. Um, I just, it's, it's one of, it's kind of that weird. It's not quite as spicy as a Syrahs, but it's, um, it's a bit bolder than some of the other reds. What's I've recently seen a lot of the blended reds and the blend, not so much the blended whites, but the blended reds, um, especially in like stores like Whole Foods or uh, kind of your natural stores like Sprouts and I don't know where they're what they're called in other places. Maybe even TJ, um, not TJ Maxx, uh, Trader Joe's. And so it's like, yeah, I was like, so a lot. I've seen a big push for or yeah for blended reds. And what's what exactly am I looking at when I see that on a label? So blended wine is just a wine that blends different grapes that have different um, profiles. So you may have a wine that is um, has one grape that has a lot of tannin, but then the other grape is going to have less tannin. Okay. And then maybe it's a third grape added to it, which is going to add a more floral component. So usually with the blended wine, you're going to get a really balanced wine. Okay. As opposed to getting a cab that's going to be big, bold with a lot of tannin. Um, and you're definitely going to need a nice juicy burger to drink with it. Okay. Uh, usually with the blend, you can get more balance. It's going to be a more easy drinking bread that you can have with or without food. So I love drinking blends um, <laughs> for that exact reason. Okay. So they tend to be more of like if you're going to buy a bottle of wine for a party or for a large crowd, a mm-hmm. blended red might be a good option because it's going to give you something that's a bit more drinkable and more approachable no matter what's being served and who's drinking it at this point. Yeah, exactly. Okay. okay. And then I know yeah. we were talking, we chatted before about, um, uh, you know, things with bubbles and <laughs> loving, loving a champagne or a cava <laughs> or a Prosecco. Um, so for like the summer, do you tend to just lean into all of those? Do you kind of find yourself pulling the same bottle um, all summer long when it comes to like a bubbly white? So I drink bubbles all year round. It doesn't need to be a celebration or anything like that. Um, I actually visited Champagne and I did a few tours there and learned a lot about how Champagne is made and just the history of it. And I kind of fell in love with all things bubbles, not just Champagne. Um, But I drink Prosecco. That's one of my favorite sparkling wines cava spanish sparkling wine is also really good and then you can still get some really affordable um sparkling wines out of france that aren't champagne um because only sparkling wine that comes from the champagne region of spain can be called champagne right but you can get a lot of cremant um from all over France that is also really great value if you don't want to spend 60 bucks on a bottle of 
champagne. Got you. Okay. Now for champagne, when someone's going to go buy a bottle and, you know, they've decided that it, it doesn't require a special occasion outside of just being hungry and wanting a, a basket of fried chicken and a, and a glass of champagne with it. Um, what are, how do we, how do you talk to people about purchasing a champagne or a sparkling white? Um, Cause I know they can tend to either be drier or sweeter and, you know, depending on, you know, if especially you can get into, sometimes you can get into one of those um, sparkling Rieslings as well. And those tend to be a lot drier. So how do you talk to people about when they're looking at the label and it says brute and they're like, I don't have any idea what that means and what that means for me drinking it. So how do you help somebody, you know, pick a really great bottle of, of a sparkling white? So great question. Um, the wine bottle is going to tell you a lot of information that you need, especially on sparkling wine. So if you're looking at a brute wine, you're going to be getting a drier style of wine. Um, and the sparkling wine scale and phrasing that they use can be really confusing because if you get a wine that's extra dry, that's going to be more sugar than the brew, which is kind of counterintuitive, but it's a very good tip to know. Mm. Brew is going to be the drier style. Extra dry is going to have a little more sugar. Um, and then when you start to see demi-sec and sec, those are going to be your sweeter style wine. So that's just referring to the sugar in the wine. Um, but, you know, it's important to look at that if you know you don't want sweet or if you know you don't want dry. Okay. But there is some, some sugar in brew wine, so it's not bone dry, but the sugar in it is less perceptible. Okay. Okay. And the sugar tends to be the thing that leans, uh, helps you, helps the wine be less dry in the mouth, or is it that like the less sugar, you tend to have more, uh, a drier mouthfeel and with more sugar, it tends to be a bit fuller in the mouth. So sugar is simply the amount of, I mean, sweetness is simply the amount of sugar. So it's not really gonna um, affect the mouthfeel. I guess if you do have more sugar, it might feel a little more full body but a lot of time your body can come from your alcohol levels too okay um but for for sweetness i would just think about just the sugar how sweet you want your wine to be okay all right yep um ladies and gentlemen i hope you out here taking notes because that something I will not be reviewing is all of these points in the description box. So if you might need to listen to this again um, or take this down the first time or ask these questions when you get into the store, like she told you the first time. So, uh, but yes, I was, you know, she, I was so glad when champagne started getting paired with fried chicken. It just was, it changed people's minds about what was, yes. what was drinkable, what was not drinkable. Like you said in the very beginning, like what was on a pedestal and what wasn't. And, you know, the fact that you would pair something with fried chicken that everyone has always made super exclusive and like high ends and highbrow. And it just gave champagne this idea that it was not, you know, no, not everyone had permission to drink it. And so the minute someone put it with some fried chicken, it was like, no, let's, let's, let's talk about that again. Um, it's something to drink and it, it's beautiful with a, a piece of fried chicken because of the fat. And so we started to see a change in how people talk about wine, even from that. And so in the last years, last few years, you see more people like venturing into the wine aisle, you know, I'm grabbing this bottle, I'm having, a, I'm taking a bit more risks, which, you know, that really kind of just tells me that if more 
African-Americans get involved in wine, we will do to wine what we do to everything. And is make it it accessible, make (laughs) it cool, you know, make it for everybody. And so, you know what I mean? We will put some salt, we will drip some sauce on that all day long and it'll just be a completely different conversation (laughs) around it. So, you know, my last question for you around wine is, what if, you know, if I wanted to, if I, you know, I'm listening to this podcast, I've kind of been thinking about it and, you know, wine has just been a part of my life and I love it. What are my, what are the first few steps someone can take if they're really ready to kind of get serious about it? They're not quite ready to, you know, leave their jobs and stuff like that because they're still not as mm-hmm. confident, but like, what would you write? What are first, what are like the top five things they could do to really start to get serious about getting into wine professionally? So great question. Again, um, the first thing that I would say is to just use your resources online. That was my first real way of learning more about wine. And sometimes I would be using Google at the tastings that I was doing. But I would get a question and I would maybe either make up the answer if I really wasn't sure or just tell them I don't know and feel really bad about it. I would just quickly just do a Google search. And there are so many great online resources that have your basic wine questions and even really detailed information. Um, after After you use your online resources, but maybe you want something a little more structured, um, I would recommend getting some books. Uh, Amazon hat is a great resource. And I also just wrote a really great blog post about my favorite wine books for beginners. There's maybe six books on the list, but they have different styles. Some of them are more fun and more conversational and talk more about wine and culture. But then some of them are more like encyclopedias where you can use them if you're looking for a specific thing about a certain region or a certain wine. Um, And then some some of them fall in the middle. So getting books is another great resource. They're so fun to use if you have a glass of wine in your hand and you're watching TV and you just want to do a quick, you know, browsing of the book to see what you had and learn more about the region of where the glass in your wine came from. After you buy some books and you want to get really, really deep into it and you're willing to spend a little more money to learn more about wine, I would suggest taking courses through Wine and Spirit Education Trust. That's where I'm studying wine through. And it's a London-based program, but they have schools all over the country, really all over the world. And there are four levels. And the first level is very basic and introductory, um, but you walk away with a level one certification. So it's kind of nice to have a globally recognized certification after you take the class. Um, And then if you want to continue, you can continue to do level two, three, and four. Um, But I love the structure of the classes. You You have class time where you learn from an instructor, but then also you get to taste wine with your classmates and the instructor as well. So it just helps you to really get better at those basic skills that help you learn to explore and get more comfortable. All right. Well, let's see. I was formulating, oh, for your, going into the future, talking about the future, um, what do you, like, what do you have on the horizon for yourself for the next couple of years? What are maybe some big goals or milestones for you that you're you're working towards or shooting for um, in the next 18, uh, 24 months? 
Oh, that question is a little scary. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it, I need to be thinking about this. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> in the next few months, I hope to pass my WSCP level three course. I'm studying for it now. And I have a few more weeks, so I've been studying a lot for that. Um, I hope to, after taking this course, is to take a little bit of time away from studying formally and to just get out and kind of explore my own and learn more about wine on my own and just really just drink it for fun because I've been studying for so long. Mm, Um, But I also hope to have some wine classes um, in the D.C. Maryland in Virginia area where um, I can kind of have an event that we talked about earlier in the show where people can come and feel comfortable being curious and we can learn those basic skills together in a space that's really fun and hopefully feature some um, African-American winemakers as well. So that's really my big goals is finishing my course and then really taking my brand to the next level with writing more and maybe writing for other publications and doing the education courses as well. Okay. Now y'all look, you now, if you know somebody she need to know, talk to get in front of, do not be stingy with that information. Um, Put her on, (laughs) put us all on. That's the, that's the point. That is the point is to create a community of people where we can get ourselves into these spaces because somebody has a, 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 an access over here. Somebody has access over there. So you guys heard all the information and the, and the, um, the knowledge that she's dropped on this podcast about wine. And you know, you didn't know that before now. So if you've learned something valuable and you know somebody she needs to know or be connected to, you know how to hook this up. You will find all her information in the description after the podcast. You need to email her, send her an Instagram, do something to make sure that, she, yes, that we I all support her <laughs> getting to the end of these goals. So, you know, like, let's do this thing, y'all. Um, now, of course, my favorite part is asking all these little strange questions at the very end. Now, now, y'all, the first time I asked this one question, the answer is still not, my spirit ain't right with it just yet. But I'm going to try. I'm going to try to be okay. Um, she, I had asked this child, like, tell me something that's true for you that almost nobody agrees with. And she said something about some wet cereal. I'm going to let her restate that for the public. Um, because I still don't know how I feel, how I feel about it. Soggy cereal is delicious. See, I just look. Um, don't let y- don't let that change y'all's opinion about her life. Um, soggy cereal is delicious. And somebody, you know what? If you agree with this point, let me know. Let me know. Holla at me in these comments and tell me if you agree that soggy cereal is delicious. And then I'm gonna I'm be all right. If you agree, we were meant to be friends. So hit me up. I, I like you already. <laughs> Whoever you are. Good Lord, help my whole life. Okay. Um. The, uh, so I, I developed a new question in between these two tapings. So the the next one is, what is something people seem to misunderstand about you? Hmm. I guess sometimes I could be a little sarcastic, um, but I guess once you get to know me, it's not that bad. It's all right. You know what, though, because sarcasm is kind of my native tongue because of where I grew up. Um, I don't know what it's it's hard when someone doesn't have any because I'm always like. 
do they have a sense of humor? <laughs> right. Like, yeah, where is kind of It's kind of <laughs> necessary for my life. So I don't know what you're doing. Uh, and then finally, the last question is room, desk, and car. Which one do you clean first? Definitely my car. I mentioned this earlier, but I'm a water sales rep. So I spend a lot of time in my car. It always has a ton of wine bottles, a ton of paper, a ton of POS material. So I definitely should always be cleaning my car first. Something always happening. I don't know. So she's but. not the person that if y'all need to ride somewhere. Can, can you take me? She might oh need to gosh. clean her car for 20 minutes before you go nowhere. So um, you might want to get her heads up. That's the truth. <laughs> Somebody's in my car. I'm always like running to get to the car before them, so I can make space for them to sit down. So don't ask me for a ride. Don't ask me. It's too much work. It's too much work. And no, you can't help me clean it up because then I won't know where anything is. So. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Desiree, for do, for retaping this for me, y'all. She was a true VIP. We our first taping just did not sound as good as I would have liked it to, and I needed all of you to have the nuggets of wisdom that she dropped. So she was so gracious and re-recorded this for us. And so please just help me thank her and like give her, definitely give her plenty of shout outs. There are plenty of blessings coming her way on account of her being so generous. <laughs> and so I just thank her and you know what? We appreciate her work and we appreciate her influence and we know that it's only going to get bigger and that we will be looking for all of the wisdom to hit. Um, I'm not saying that everybody's going to be drinking, eating soggy cereal anytime soon, but we should be better <laughs> at picking some wines this summer and going forward. So um, again, thank you so much for just retaping and for joining me again. I loved having this conversation with you. I was, it was nice to be able to even dig a little deeper into some of our questions that we had the first time around. So I just definitely look forward to seeing definitely. how your platform completely blows up in the future and see how much influence, you know, what your influence will be on how African-Americans really kind of engage in the discussions around wine and fine dining and how that's just going to elevate our community even more. So thank you. Thank you so much, Tiffany. I am so excited to be featured on the first season of your podcast and just so honored to be among all the amazing women that are featured for this season. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening in on this week's conversation with Desiree Brown. We are excited that you've joined our community of thoughtful, ambitious, and informed listeners. We love to hear the stories and experiences of inspiring and passionate people. Be sure to find Desiree on Instagram at Wino Noir, as well as follow her blog to keep up with her journey. You're invited to the episode after party. Click the link in the episode description to become a member of the Afros and Knives community powered by Mighty Networks. And let's keep the conversation going. If you're looking for information that was referenced in today's podcast, then visit the show description on the Afros and Knives website to get the details. Don't forget to subscribe to the Afros and Knives podcast on iTunes or Spotify and unlock the newest episodes every Tuesday. Visit the website and become an insider to get exclusive access to new shows before they air. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Did you know we had a YouTube channel? Yes. Every episode is available on YouTube every Wednesday. Get your hands on the official season one t-shirt in the Afros and Knives store. It features the names of each and every one of our guests from season one. Thank you so much again. And please join us next week for our conversation with food culturist Nicole Taylor. 